Now, the aspects of drones are not new, um, especially when it comes to security. Drones have been deployed, even in Nigeria. But then, how have we been deploying the drone? Um, you see, it's one thing to say you want to mount an optical camera so you could take images of the ground and then inspect it to see if you can notice any terrorists. But what if the terrorists are hiding under forest canopies or caves or something? There is that limitation. So for me, I got uh, bothered about the fact that the, the, the story we hear is that we don't know where the terrorists are. And I feel if you don't know where the terrorists are, how can you win? How can you attack? How can you even know what you're even doing? Hello guys, welcome to the Tech Point Africa podcast. My name is Bolu and I will be your host for today. Today we'll be talking about something very interesting. We'll be talking about artificial intelligence, robotics, and everything in between. So what comes to your mind when you hear robotics or artificial intelligence? Well, for me, what comes to my mind is the movies, iRobots, Terminator. <laughs> well, we all know those are just movies, but um, they are not so far off, or are they? Well, we have someone in the studio, well, not in the studio, he's joining us virtually from Ibado, Oyo State, Nigeria, and he's Dr. Ayola Olushola. He's the CEO and lead researcher at RAIN. RAIN is an AI and robotics firm in Ibado, Oyo State, Nigeria, and he'll be telling us one or two things about AI robotics, um, you know, if it's a myth, if it's interesting in the movies, or if some of those things are actually possible. Uh, you really want to stick to the end of this interview. Hello, Dr. Ayala, how are you doing? Uh, hello, Bolu, I'm fine, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to really have you on. Yeah, so um, anyone that is interested in um, AI, robotics, or any form of imaging tech, you know, must have heard you or seen some of the things that you've done. And for me, the one that sticks out for me the most was, um, a drone that could detect carbon emissions and you said you know you you designed something like that and you said we could actually use it to um fish out terrorists terrorist groups in and in their hideouts and i was like hmm interesting yeah but before we you know really delve into that let's let's know you a little bit more let's hear more about um your journey with artificial intelligence and robotics thank you very much um i started off as a bachelor's degree well as an undergraduate at the university of ibado studying for electrical and electronic engineering degree and i focused very well on my studies so i could get a first class now when i got a first class i gained a federal government scholarship through nitda to study for my master's and I did that in the area of advanced control and systems engineering at the University of Manchester in UK. Again, I was able to focus again very well on my studies, so I got a scholarship by the United Kingdom's government for my PhD in robotics for extreme environment, which I did. And this time around, I was able to uh, focus in the area of robotics squarely, but also in the area of uh, nuclear decommissioning, the challenges in the nuclear field. I was able to uh, look into how they could get better results, more efficiency, with less resources. And that's what AI is all about, trying to make the best uh, of every little resources you can, you can get. And my, my postdoctoral research experience was also in that area of robotics, but this time around, hands-on, building actual uh, robots for, 
for use in the nuclear field. And all of this put together, you know, reinforced my learning and made me a better person. And since then, I've come to realize that there are actually very many areas of application of AI in the healthcare, agriculture, fintech, medical care, you know, in, in so many ways. And, and for me, it's, it's an interesting field because there is never a boring game. There's never a boring time. It's always something in, innovative or so to do. And that's how it's been for me so far. Thank you. Interesting. Really interesting. Wow. So let's, let's now move to... You've actually done a lot, you know, from building actual robots that could be used in the military field, so many things. Uh, what, what you described, you know, looks to me like, I don't know, I just keep picturing Terminator in my mind, but, you know, we'll get to that later. We'll get there. We'll get there. So, <laughs> yeah, so, um, so I started, you know, by, you know, telling you about one of your one of the things you spoke about that really um, you know stuck out to me, which was the drone that could detect carbon emissions, and it was you know really interesting to hear about that. And I just want to know how possible is this? Could we actually have a drone that could fish out terrorists where they are, you know, by detecting carbon emissions? How how exactly would okay? Thank you. Now, the aspects of drones are not new, um, especially when it comes to security. Drones have been deployed, even in Nigeria. But then, how have we been deploying the drone? Um, you see, it's one thing to say you want to mount an optical camera so you could take images of the ground and then inspect it to see if you can notice any terrorists. But what if the terrorists are hiding under forest canopies or caves or something? There is that limitation. So for me, I got uh, bothered about the fact that the, the, the story we hear is that we don't know where the terrorists are. And I feel if you don't know where the terrorists are, how can you win? How can you attack? How can you even know what you're even doing? So the first step in my case was let's get to support the government to know where anyone anywhere is in a forest area. And we all agree that in a forest area, it's highly oxygenated. So any spike, any activity of humans, such as cooking or, or transportation by bikes or the use of um, generators and so on, will create a spike in the carbon emissions there. So if there's a way we can deploy any method to sweep the atmosphere to know if there's been a spike in carbon emission, then we have a way of detecting the presence of human activities in that forested area. So that's why I thought of it. And I, I got thinking, put a team together, and we came up with the solution called the Carbon Emission Tracker for Human Enclave Detection. We're not saying that it would tell you that these are terrorists, but it would tell you that these are people in a forest that no one has been able to penetrate. So what kind of people do you think will be there? Okay, so that's the idea. And um, it's, it's been shared, you know, the intelligence has been shared with those in the appropriate agencies of government and it's it's uh, it's been deployed it's been it's been um, looked into and, and that i think is the spirit because it's not about us doing it it's about us sharing intelligence sharing ideas as a consultant that's all that i need to do and let those who have what it takes the resources to put that to use and i think that's what has been happening so far very interesting all right so um i i did a bit of digging into you know, a technology that could 
actually detect carbon emissions and I found out that you know total energies were actually looking to do something like that to they were, they were thinking about mounting um, a device that could actually detect um, methane levels in the atmosphere does it detect um, carbon emissions in the atmosphere because they were trying to uh, not just detect it but to be able to calculate exactly exactly how much carbon is being emitted in in this area how much methane has been emitted from this area and they were going to do that in a bid to reduce to know because to reduce carbon emissions you need to know okay what exactly are we emitting how much are we emitting and so and they've been working on this since 2017 all right and i just want to know total energies with the um, resources of course they have the resources they have the um, human resources capital resources where it took them approximately five years to do this and you know you alone <laughs> you know how were you able to was it that you you already discovered this head of this um, solution somewhere or is just, and then you thought about okay let's bring it into um, the military and let's see how it works to help us fight insurgency or how, how were you able to go about it with your limited resources okay thank you very much um, now you see the thing about technology is that it might take someone 10 years to develop a particular solution but in the 10th year 10 other people might come up with that solution because the only reason it took them 10 years is because the technology that could have solved that problem had not yet been discovered. And by the time it got discovered, it was like everybody starts on the same level. So that's how I want to picture that. But beyond that uh, explanation, total energies, what they were looking into is the ultralight spectrometer. And um, that method basically uses infrared light and some others to detect you know, the presence of these gases in air. So they are looking at imagery, a sort of uh, imaging system, which is different from what we have in the carbon emission tracker. So the, the carbon emission tracker, unlike that other one, is not an imagery system trying to look into the atmosphere and see carbon monoxide. Rather, we are sensing carbon monoxide by, if I may say, by smell. So it's different from sensing it by, by sight, but not by smell really. It's by collecting samples within the atmosphere and across that space. Um, now, not just that, we also have a theory which has been a result of several other researches from other people that has been able to show the trajectory of carbon uh, emissions in the atmosphere. So depending on the altitude, depending on the uh, the, 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 the GPS location that you are currently collecting that sample, we would be able to extrapolate the original ground source of that uh, emission. And that's the way it's been done. Now, the motive has been different from uh, Total. Total Energy's motive has been to, they already, know, they already know that they have carbon emission, they can see the flames. What they want is to quantify how much emissions are being generated from all of their gas plants and all that. And that's been the reason for that extreme research for accuracy in quantifying. But in our case, we're only trying to detect, not quantify, such that when we detect a spike, 
we know that this could not have happened naturally it's due to human activities in that area now so for us we are not trying to be as accurate or precise in, in, in numbers rather we're just trying to detect and move across the entire space till we can detect where the spikes are, 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 are perhaps the highest uh, in its emission so that's the difference but even with that um, you can be sure that over more decades this particular solution will be further developed the most important thing is that let's get it to use now that we need it as a matter of life and death and eventually more advancement can be taken and 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 that will be for other uses in in in, in the future okay okay thank you thank you so much for clearing that up so have you i think this is a very important um technological solution i'm sure you admit um i'm sure you agree with me because um, insecurity has been an issue for a lot of people in some parts of Nigeria for a very long time now, you know. And how, how much of a response have you gotten from the government with, uh, with this um, solution that you've brought forward? Tremendous, tremendous support from the government. Not in cash, because I'm not asking the government for funds. Rather, in terms of acceptance, in terms of collaborations, there has been tremendous uh, support from the government agencies. I'm talking about the military agencies, the research agencies of government, and, and that is actually uh, phenomenal, you know, where it's, it's very clear to me that the federal government, and I mean all their agencies, are waiting, looking for, and ready to adopt any technology that is, that is applicable to their, uh, to, to, to their field. And, it's, 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 it has created that opportunity for even more technological uh, collaborations because apart from the carbon emission tracker drone, we have many other solutions, the unmanned vehicle and, and others that could be deployed in the area of security, even purely software-based solutions as well for emergency rescue. And we've been able to interact with them even more, learn more about other problems that they have and look into preferring the solutions. So, I think uh, what is the biggest thing, the biggest gain for me here is that there is that synergy and that interaction going on to make sure that whatever challenges they are facing, while they look for solutions abroad, we can also look inwards in-house for the solution. And it's for us a great opportunity to have access to such challenges so that when we solve them, we know that we are dealing with real problems. Justin. Yeah, looking for solutions in-house. Yeah, there are a lot of technological solutions that, you know, we've looked outside for. But uh, before we talk more about um, those solutions, let's just take an ad uh, from the people paying our house rent briefly, and uh, we'll be back shortly. Hi, I'm Abisala Adenoga, the head of business at TechPoint Africa. Did you know that you could present yourself as a reputable brand leader? Did you know that your business can get the limelight it deserves? Now you do. Using TechPoint Africa's marketing tools, we can put you in the faces of a large audience for brand awareness and thought leadership. To do this, reach out to us by sending an email to business at techpoint.africa or click on the link in the description below. Okay, welcome back to the Tech Points Africa podcast. Yes, uh, I've been having a very interesting conversation with Dr. Olushala Ayola, um, the founder and lead researcher at RAIN. And he has 
you know, been telling me about some really interesting things, the interesting collaborations with um, the Nigerian military and a kind of drone that can actually help us detect um, terrorists' activities by detecting carbon emission levels at any location. All right, yeah, so we're talking about um, I just um, something I took from your um, your last statement, which was um, looking for technological solutions in house. I'm sure you would agree with me that when it comes to deep tech, right, and I'm sure what you do qualifies as deep tech. Um, it, it qualifies as emerging tech. It's not it's space we see a lot of people playing, right? What exactly would you say is the problem? I've not, and I've asked, I've asked these questions from a lot of people doing things like this, right? And uh, I, I know the answer might not be that different, but um, I just want to see things from another perspective. So what, what's the problem? Why are most people looking towards... Um, software it's all software <laughs> in the nigerian tech ecosystem it's all software why is um deep tech being neglected thank you um this aspect is that the aspect of deep tech is that it's involving um it requires a lot of investment and a lot of time and expertise and it also requires some sort of comfort you know where you're doing it as a full-time job and not a part-time job um Deep tech requires that you have a laboratory, you have a space where you can do your work, you have uh, clients that are real time, you know, real problems and, you know, and all of that. For me, I think the, the real problem is that most of our people, most of the, the users of tech in Nigeria prefer to rely on external, you know, foreign technology. And so anybody that wants to import solutions in, in, in tech, I mean, for anybody who wants to build solutions in tech, would look at how much patronage will they get. Even the software, the reason you are seeing most of them in Nigeria is because many of their clients are foreign, you know, remote clients, that who, you know, people who can access their services remotely from the, over the internet. But when it comes to patronage here in Nigeria, you find most, most companies still sourcing, outsourcing their tech solutions, whether it's hardware or software. So, unfortunately, when it's hardware, it's difficult for you to say you have clients abroad that you are servicing, even though I, I believe it's very possible to do that if one is able to strategically plan the business. Um, so I think uh, that's the major challenge. And the solution is going to be for government to make a deliberate uh, effort, which um, is expected of government in, uh, through the startup bill, to enhance local production or ensure that most companies in Nigeria patronize local or indigenous tech solutions. And it must also start from the government. You know, the government has to make sure that, for example, hospitals are digitized, you know, just like how they've made the broadcasting corporations to be digitized as well. And then ensure that the technology is homegrown, you know, and all of that. I, I, I think we have the capacity here in Nigeria. We just need the drive and the determination to put all of these resources to use. Take, for example, we have the Space Research Development Agency, NASDAQ, and they have access to space satellite um, um, data. We can make sure we deploy that for local needs rather than all relying on foreign satellites. So if we can create the avenue, more people would see it profitable and would want to go into this. And lastly, 
the, the access to raw materials, to resources, is also a big challenge where you have to now buy uh, from China. And to buy from China, you need foreign exchange. And it's very difficult to pay with, foreign, with, with your Naira card on any global platform at the moment. It's, it's a big challenge. So I think uh, all of these things put together are the real challenges, but it starts with getting that determination right. Let's ensure that people produce, people make use of indigenous technological solutions, and then we can now make sure that the environment is available for them to solve problems for people. All right. Yes. I think and those are really important important um, things that you know the government needs need to look need to look into. And my next question now is it's still a bit on what we just said, but um, okay, yes, the government has a lot to a lot to do, and it's it's obvious. But regarding individuals, right in in the software space that we have already now. Um, we have a lot of tech companies popping up every day, raising money, doing a lot of things. And like you right, rightly said, right, it's all a matter of, um, you know, profitability and things like that. And, you know, hardware requires a lot of funding. But would, would you agree with me and say some of the biggest problems are the problems that that only deep tech can solve because i was thinking about it and i was like all right yes you have uh, you've created a platform for people to collect payments online but some of the most pressing needs of nigeria or even africa generally are people even getting access to healthcare, for example people getting access to food uh, making sure there's enough food because you can't create an app for people to pay online with if those people are not even healthy in the first place. So is there anything that people that are already in the space, right, in the tech space already, people that are already building all these amazing apps that we already have, software applications, is, is, is there any role for them to play in making sure that the tech that I think, in my opinion, you might tell me if I'm wrong, that I think, in my opinion, matters the most. Is there, we, is there anything they can do besides just you know, the government doing something? Yes, uh, there is. And there are things they can do. Um, as players in the field, they understand this, this space very well and they understand the, 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 you know, the pain that we face. So I think uh, players in this field, you know, those who are already into software technology, can actually dis decide, okay, it has to be a deliberate decision to move into hardware. When I came to Nigeria to set up RAIN, I deliberately did it to be hardware first, not software. Because I know that in Nigeria we have so many software developers who don't even need an office. They can be with their laptop in their homes and they can deploy, they, they can solve, they, they can create for you any app, website, web app or anything. And that's how it is. But I deliberately wanted a hardware environment where I can drill, I can weld, I can, you know, beat into shape, you know, fabricate parts, program it, wire it, and stuff like that. And I deliberately set up this center. So that means that anybody who is into tech already should please realize that there is need to build the hardware 
Otherwise, there will be no hardware for you to upload your software into when the time comes. Because look at when COVID happened. It was impossible to order for anything from China. And software alone would not do the job of the defibrillator. There was need for that hardware. So um, if they can come together, if at all they have to, and set up a sort of workspace, makerspace already exists, but something that is for manufacturing or, or for fabricating so that they can build solutions. For example, as simple as a, uh, you know, the, the, the device used for checking your temperature, the remote temperature sensor device, as simple as that is, we need a lot of skills into that. Plastic molding or injection molding, uh, of course, the aspect of wiring, microchipping, uh, and, and so on. So all of these things must be in the same space. If possible, um, we need investors, giant investors, I'm talking about the big techies now, to ensure that this is available. We can't continue to depend on foreign uh, solutions. But the main fear for many people is that they believe that hardware is very expensive. But I do not have that, I, I don't share that opinion because it's only expensive when, you're not, when it's not your field, when you don't have the knowledge of how to optimize resources. But when you are a hardware person already, you don't have to start by spending millions and billions of naira for everything. You just need to get the things that are needed at that point. And with time, as patronage increases, the size of the business would also increase. But it's only someone that knows about it, someone who has the training, who has the hardware knowledge that will be able to start small. If it's just an investor wanting to fund an idea, it would seem like a lot of money just to build that. Someone can even start with just battery technology, as simple as packaging batteries. And over time, you can build the circuit that regulates the charging and, and, and so on. I, I think we can go there if at all people are ready. Okay. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm going to disagree a bit with you on the fact that <laughs> you might actually not need that much funding. Like if you, yeah, I think you're trying to say if you start small, if you know, if you know about the space, right, you can start small, create something, um, make money, and then use that, you know, plow back the profits from that. But uh, I think it doesn't, doesn't that depend, doesn't it depend on the space you want to play in? Because you mentioned something about um, um, space um, satellites and things like that. I think for such a space, you need you actually need a lot of funding and whoever is funding you is not somebody who is looking to get returns in a short period of time whoever is funding you must be ready to go the long haul so don't you think there are some um space in hardware where you will need constant funding for a very long time before you can even you know even come up with a prototype because i've heard some people in hardware make this case or or is it just is it just are they blowing things out of proportion yes yes they are doing things out of proportion i'll give you examples um you are right in when in, in what you said when you said one should start small and grow that's it because i have seen someone who said he has a solution to perpetual energy generation that he has a solution that you can generate electricity through gravity or just through a particular uh, engine that will just keep 
moving and winding and winding. And then I said to him, okay, can we see the demonstration? And he said, well, you need to give me money. I need to buy this. I need to buy that and so on. And I felt, well, but you said you've tested it, right? Let me see the one you tested. He said, oh, no, it's, couldn't, I couldn't finish it. Oh, you couldn't finish it, but you want money to test what you're not even sure. And theoretically, that's not even possible. So that was the argument we had, and he couldn't just convince us. Now, when you have people with ideas that are not sellable, expecting investors to throw in funds at them because they believe it's possible, they are not ready for the investment. What they need to do, first of all, is prove that they can deliver on something else and then investors will believe in them and even provide them the resources, not just money now, but access to facilities that will fund these ideas. I do not think that there is scarcity of funds when it comes to funding great ideas. I think it's just the scarcity of trust. And you have to win or earn people's trust, and that's the only thing that is lacking. I mean, for me at Rain, for example, we've had opportunity, and now we are partnering with the Nigerian Space Research Development Agency. So talking about being in space again, that's an access point, because when you have someone like an agency in charge of space research wanting to partner with you, then that means your ideas that could have been used in that area can now be used, can now be deployed. So it's a matter of trust. People have to start from somewhere, build that trust, so that those who are key players will be ready. And talking about investors who are not looking for quick returns, that's an example, government. But even if not government, there are many other foundations that are existing that are willing to fund ideas without expecting any return for as long as it's saving the planet. And, and so let's be um, ready to convince people and not expect people to believe us. And so you have to start from somewhere. In my case, for example, I started without expecting any kind of collaboration or anything with government, but it didn't take long before the government reached out to us for many other areas uh, because they could see that we were already self-motivated and we could do things ourselves. And that's the philosophy that developers must have because you can't be a developer and wait for people to come and develop you. You have to develop yourself as you're developing other applications. All right. All right. Yes. Um, well, I, th I think we'll probably still have a chance to <laughs> delve more on that um, um, probably when we have another conversation. But um, let's, let's forge ahead for the sake of our time. So, um, yeah, you said you know you are into some things at Rain. Yeah, you you mentioned um, a partnership between you and um, a Nigerian agency. So, what can you um, give us a little bit more um, information about that and other projects that you're working on on at at Rain? Right. Um, so, with the federal government, there has been a number of uh, collaborations. One of them is a partnership with Nigeria's um, Space Research Development Agency. And now that is for us to partner with them to bring solutions that will be very vital to Nigeria's uh, tech innovation development. And one of them is the use of drones for mapping, for example. The use of drones for detecting, uh, you know, um, let me say urban usage, if I may use the word and many other innovations that the federal government through NASDAQ will enhance and make uh, you know, available to the people. Now, um, secondly, there's the other one called NITDA, uh, which has a scheme called NAVSA. NITDA stands for National Information Technology 
Development Agency. And NAPSA is a scheme that they developed called National Adopted Village for Smart Agriculture. Now, what we've done with NITDA is to build IoT devices for farmers that allows them to control their farm uh, irrigation or their poultry temperature from their homes. And we did that in collaboration with NITDA. So um, that has been deployed in Jikawa and Abeokuta. Then, of course, with the police, you know, we have a traffic light system that we donated, which is supposed to be a model that allows, in case the police are not on duty on a weekend or a Sunday, or God forbid any kind of protest that makes the police want to stay at home, then that traffic system can be allowed to operate. And it's mobile. It's not like the normal ones that are fixed. This can be deployed to the junction. Um, there is also what we've done for private organizations, you know, uh, in the area of home automation, in the area of logistics. We have projects that we're actually doing. There is one particular project we call IMOB, Industrial Mobile Robotic Platform. It's a vehicle, ground vehicle, that is autonomous or getting to that point of being autonomous. At the moment, it's speech controlled. It's got um, ability to drive within a controlled environment. And it can carry 250 kilograms of payload. Now, this competes favorably with that of Canada's... Uh, uh, they have a company in Canada uh, which has a robot like this, but theirs cannot carry as much as ours can carry. So um, it's the application of the technology that is ingenious in what we've done to allow for that. And not only that, ours makes little or no noise at all, while theirs makes a lot of noise. So we are building that. We're not done yet, but it's one of those uh, interesting innovations you can, you can expect to see in a few months or years to come. So we have many other projects that we are doing software related in the area of in the area of fintech and uh, and medtech. We had a solution we worked on with the Physiotherapy Association, which has to do with exoskeleton for those who are suffering from upper limb dysfunctions, and uh, many more of that will be coming up with other fields like the uh, the accounting field and so on in, in the future. Well, those are really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, interesting things you're working on uh, from the um, street lights, uh, traffic lights to, I think, um, I think the one that sounds the most interesting is uh, the one with agriculture using IoT to help farmers. That's that just sounds really amazing. Yeah, so you know we, we we've said a lot about software. We've said a lot about you know hardware, and I'm sure there are people watching this right now who are. Maybe founders, founders of a fintech company, founders or a software developer for a fintech company, right? Um, if you guys are listening, yes, you can always pivot into hardware. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure Doctor Ayola will be ready to teach you everything that you need to know. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of fintech, um, we have our fintech summit coming up. Um, on the 26th of November, yeah, we've been saying this, you know. We've been announcing this a lot. We've been seeing a lot of people um, register to come around for that event. It's going to be really amazing. Um, we have the fintech OGs, you know, um, people. Um, we have someone from OPE coming. Um, we have the co-founder of Piggyvest. They'll be 
telling you a lot of all the things and the nitty-gritty about fintech. Um, what What is it exactly? How do you profit from it? Or you even want to start your own fintech company and you don't really know how to go about it. You don't know the licenses to get. Um, you don't know. Um, you, don't, you don't even know the first step to take, right? Or you want to, you've seen all these investment applications. You don't know how to invest and make money. Just come to the fintech summit um, to register. Just go to fintech.techpoint.africa and you see the registration link right there register it's on the 26th of november and it's going to be amazing i'm sure you've heard about tech point events and i'm sure you know they're always always on point so uh, make sure you come for that event yeah so um nice i've plugged that in <laughs> shamelessly so um dr Ella, yeah i think um like I said, the agriculture bit of um, some of the things you said you're working on sounds it sounds really interesting. Um, when when can we expect you know to start seeing um, these things work? When can we expect to start seeing the ones that are more of something that that in individuals will use? When are we going to see them being distributed to people where they actually make people's lives a lot better. You see, it's actually very possible to do that right away. But then the thing is that um, it's important for farmers, for example, to come together to have a sort of tech service provider that will collect and then deploy. Now, that, that, that's because people have said, oh, why can't you make it cheap so that farmers can buy? But I'm like, even they don't even need to buy. They can just make a monthly or yearly subscription. But I can't be the one handling that aspect. I have a lot to focus on, you understand? So there could now be a tech service provider that would focus on Agric and say to farmers, these are devices I can deploy to you guys. You can use and pay subscription. Now, that's a business waiting to be uh, tapped by anybody that, that is fast enough because these are solutions that farmers really need but cannot afford. And it's possible for microfinance banks to also do the same and add it to one of their packages or insurance companies. There are, there are so many areas that we need to plug. Now, even if it's the use of drones for farms, for spraying, for, uh, for spraying pesticides and all that, again, one farmer may not be able to afford that, but a collective uh, reserve of farmers to have a service provider will help get this available to them. Uh, either that or government again can intervene, but it's always better when the people come together to get it for themselves because, I mean, they are going to make benefit of it and they, they, it will eventually help their production. Um, so that's what I would say because those solutions are ready, but it's not going to be mass produced until there is a, an organized market for it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's that, that's actually one of those points I was going to raise when you were talking about, um, f um, you know, needing a lot of money to get into hardware. So I mean, look at you know mass producing things like this. It will definitely cost cost a lot of money, right? Yeah, but <laughs> but you know the banks are there to give loans, right? The banks are there to give loans. Investors are really waiting. I have met many investors who are really waiting for anybody that is ready to go into tech business because there is a there is a huge um, opportunity, well, possibility there. But then they just need someone that can go the, all the way, not the kind of tech 
founder or CEO that will start by paying him or herself salary rather than use the money to create opportunity. So um, if investors find the right person, then of course, the money won't be a problem actually. I don't like to see money as a limitation, honestly. We can do it. People do these things. Great, you see, the difference between the richest people and those who are not is risk. Those who took risk of getting a loan, hoping that they will pay back. Of course, some never paid back and ended up maybe committing suicide or something, but some eventually paid back, even though it wasn't that easy. But these things will come true. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, speaking of dreams and speaking of um, taking risks, um, we don't have enough people doing these things, right? And I'll probably, you know, close with this question. And I know you are doing something towards training people to get into this space. And I will probably just be showing footages of your lab and some of the trainings you do there. Um, how, how, how do people become a part of this? How do you, you know, impact some of this knowledge that you have already into um, anyone that is willing to take that big step into big tech? Okay, so um, interestingly, there are people who are fresh from high school and there are those who are done with university and there are the undergraduates as well who realize at some point that, hey, we don't have the practical skills yet because they're interested, but they don't have the skill. And it's one thing to say, I'm going to sit through some online resources and go through this and become great. But when you know time is of essence, you want to give yourself a deadline and you want to have that discipline to study, you might look for a place that can train you, they can give you projects, they can keep you working all around the clock. And that's where we come in. So when people come to RAIN, they have 12 months of serious, rigorous work experience, teaching and projects, just to the, to, to the point where they can finish and say, oh, they have built projects. Because it's not enough to say you know Python programming, yet you haven't built anything. You should be able to say, I've used Python to build a web page, I mean a web, a web app, I've used Python to build a, a computer vision recognition system or whatever. So um, this, the, the step to take is for people to then resolve that they need that kind of physical practical training. Then they apply to RAIN once in three, well, three tries a year. And then uh, if they get the opportunity to study at RAIN, then they will, they will be given all they need in a structured way. We, we have a structured curriculum that takes them either through the curriculum for robotics or through the curriculum for AI machine learning, which is like business intelligence. Uh, and that's the way it goes. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Um, so you heard it from um, Dr. Ayola Olushala. If you are willing to take that big step into big tech or any kind of tech at all, I'm sure, um, I'm sure um, the doors of rain, rain technologies are always open to you. And uh, for everyone watching us, wherever you're watching this on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, anywhere, please uh, make sure you like, share. Um, if you find anything interesting, uh, just make a comment. Um, or if there's something that you find uninteresting, if you, there's a question you have, or there's just something that didn't sit right with you, please um, just comment um, and I'll be sure that I will attend to them if it's something beyond me. I'm sure Dr. Ayola will be willing to uh, answer any questions that you might have. And yes, if you're listening to this on any podcast, podcast platform, right, anyone at all, you know you can always find us on 
Google Podcast, Tapu Podcast, Spotify, Hiat Radio, and anywhere else you get your podcast. Um, Dr. Ayala, thank you, thank you, thank you so much um, for taking our time to um, be on this podcast. It has been a real pleasure. It's my pleasure to be on the, being on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. And I'm sure this, this, this is definitely not going to be our last conversation. We'll still have, um, you know, be calling you to, you know, getting some expert opinions in space of hardware, space of AI, space of deep tech. You can be sure I'll respond. Yes, you can be sure I'll respond. Awesome. 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 All right. Thank you, everyone. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So this is the end of the podcast. Um, Like I said, make sure you comment whatever I did. Just let me know. (laughs) All right. So um, bye for now and I will see you in the next one.